have willingness. Amen. I do have some guiding questions in the bulletin. Some of those will be answered during the message. Most of them will be something for you to think about before, during, and after. I want to draw to you that the Apostle Paul says in verse 11, which John just read, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And then he goes on and says, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The armor of light. A lot of folks uh, have heard the armor of God, but they're not sure what the armor of light is. The armor of light is where you walk in the truth of Jesus Christ with the armor of God on, and you don't let darkness come into your thinking or your mind. And I want to share with you from Ephesians what the armor of God has and how you put this on. It's a daily task. It's found at the beginning at... uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. It says, Put on the whole armor of God, so, and there's a why, that you'll be able to stand against the wiles, the tricks of the devil. That's a good reason to put it on. Enough reason for me to say, Okay, I want to withstand the devil attacking me and messing up my family and my life, my finances, my community. If this will do it, I'm in. It's all I need to know that it's going to make the enemy run. But here's what we do. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're actually not going against people. There's other things at work in our lives and in the world. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And he says, therefore, take up the whole armor that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all you can do to stand, you remain standing. When everybody else falls because they don't have the armor of God on, you will still be standing when everybody else has fallen. And what is that armor? Glad you asked. He says, Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. Truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. So truth and righteousness. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace or getting ready to speak the word at all times. Faithful in season and out of season to speak the word of God even when it's not popular. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which is defensive, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And I'm only going to briefly say about a shield of faith, the enemy attacks and you can block it with faith. Amen. If the enemy is telling you you're not worth it or you're not worthwhile or everything's going to fall apart and all these fears and anxieties and worries start building up, the enemy's going to tell you this is what's going on and you just know God's not going to do this and the the reality you just need to get in touch with. You don't have a clue about life. And, and the enemy's going to tell you all that. And God's going to say, faith defeats that. Mm-hmm. It says, I don't care what this world says. I know what God says. Mm-hmm. He is my shepherd and I shall not suffer those wants. Amen. He said it. I'm not the one who's embracing my truth. I'm embracing God's truth rather than what the world says because I'm not wrestling against somebody. I'm wrestling against something that's trying to mess with me in my head, in my heart, in my thoughts, all in my emotions. All those things the enemy uses to get you worried. Mm-hmm. You ever had this feeling of, uh, of dread like, oh, I've been here before. That's the enemy using principalities or powers to begin to distract you from the truth of God. And whenever you get that coming back on, you simply say, not today, devil. 
My God says, I win in this thing. That the battle belongs to the Lord, not me. And it's not your battle. If you're going to have a fight with me, you take it to the Lord. i got His armor on, so you're fighting Him now. So that's the shield of faith and why we need that. And then it says on the top of, the, of that, we need to take the helmet of salvation. Listen, if you don't cover your head with salvation and you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you got, you're, you're wide open for a death shot. Very important to know that. And so you've got to have that. And then the only offensive thing is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Cuts both ways. Double-edged sword, sharper than any two-edged sword, actually. Hebrews 4 tells us about that. And then the other offensive. Now, y'all might have thought this might be defensive because most people use this as a defense, but it's actually using for the offensive if you know how to use it right. He says, pray always with all prayer and supplication in the power of the Holy Spirit. The sword is an offensive weapon, but so is prayer through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have prayer in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're praying defensive prayers which sound like this. God, I'm in trouble. Help me. People are after me. Do something about it. Offensively, when you pray, it's enemy has come against me, Heavenly Father. I'm going to stand and I'm going to take the battle to the front lines as you lead me. I'm taking your word beyond where he tells me not to go. And I'm going to do that because your word is my strength and my shield. So that's what the armor does for us. And that's why in our reading for today, he says, let us put on the armor of light, which doesn't allow for the darkness to come in. Amen. That shield of faith also blocks those darknesses. Mm-hmm. You know what darkness is? It's the absence of light. Once you have a single candle in a dark room, there is no longer darkness. It's gone. And that's important for us to know this morning. It is also true that if you do not have the fire and light of Jesus Christ burning inside you in the power of the Holy Spirit, you are very dark too. Mm -hmm. And that's not a good place to be. It's a very lonely, scary place because you are fighting everything on your own strength. Mm -hmm. I promise you one day, that will run out. (coughs) Excuse me. So Paul does something for us in this 14th chapter in the first uh, three verses, 8, 9, and 10, talking about the laws and how to fulfill the commandments of God. I don't know about you, but I can do something just fine until someone tells me to. Are you like that? A little bit like rebellious? Mm -hmm. Are you a rebel, a lone ranger sometimes? (laughs) I can do this, but when you tell me to, I'm not doing that. Well, that's kind of like what happens with the commandments and the laws of God. We're doing just fine. And then he says, this is you better not do this. And go, oh yeah, I'll show you. Because something inside us, according to Romans chapter 7, says that when we want to do good, there's another law in place which says bad is there and evil is ready when good is your desire. The evil is knocking at the door when you desire to do good. Now, you say, oh, that shouldn't be that way. It didn't say it should be. It's a law. It's not an idea. It's not a suggestion. It's not a sometimer. It's a law, which means it's an all-the-timer. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know what I mean by an all-the-timer, it means it happens every single time. It's an absolute. The law is absolute. It's a law of God. Law of the universe. Law of principalities and powers. The law says, 
that when you desire to do good and bring good in your life, evil's ready right at the door. If you ever want to see that, that's in Romans 7, about the middle of the chapter. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very difficult chapter to wrap your head around, but that particular verse really struck me a couple of weeks ago. So, when you begin to look at the law, and God says, and Paul, through Paul says, oh, nobody, anything except to love each other, and in that way, you fulfill the law. Amen. So as soon as you decide to live for God, you go, I'm going to start loving everybody. Evil's at your door telling you, not them. Don't walk in forgiveness here. Don't love that person. They just hurt you. Don't Stay away from them. Don't help them. Why? Because you want to do good and love everybody. Now you've got reasons not to. And it's not a person telling you that. It's thoughts. It's ideas. It's whether or not you feel safe. That's what it's going on. And so in those situations, when he says, so he gives you the commandments. I love the ones Paul picks out. No, I don't. But I'm so glad he picked them out because it tells us what he's talking about. He says the one about don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. Did you know that that's not the first five? That's the last five. Mm-hmm. The first five are about your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. He doesn't talk about those. He talks about your relationship with everybody else. Amen. The second half of the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And he says, so those commandments, he said, they're summed up in this saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's not in the Ten. Mm-hmm. It tells you what not to do to them, but it doesn't tell you what to do. So he says, love, in verse 10, does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love fulfills the law. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, He said, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Mm -hmm. And the second greatest is like unto it, thou shalt love the neighbor as thyself. He said, those two fulfill the whole law. And if you fulfill those two, you have the whole law completed. And all the prophets in the law hang from those stem from them are under that umbrella love God love neighbor Amen. everything else that God asks us to do somehow fits under there obviously if you love someone you're not going to kill them not going to commit adultery with their wife or husband not going to steal from them or a lie against them you're not going to covet what they have either if you love them that's obvious statements right if you love somebody you're not going to try and go out and hurt them break them down so that's why it says in verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. And this is a good point to tell you there's a difference between harm and hurt. Do you know the difference? Harm means destructive. Hurt means tough love. It may hurt when you discipline your child, but you're not harming them. It may hurt when you set up a boundary in your life where someone has been walking through for years and they feel, well, you don't love me anymore and they feel hurt, but you're not harming them. You're just setting up a boundary in your life. This is called doing no harm, as John Wesley would say, but it's also not... uh, But it is hurting sometimes. But it doesn't mean we're intentionally inflicting pain on someone just because we want to. It's because we're loving them from a place where sometimes love says, you have to change the way you are. Mm-hmm. And God gives us tough love. 
I promise you, God gives us tough love. He does not settle on His people living in debauchery. He's got a whole list of, of things that He doesn't settle for His people to do, including murdering, stealing, uh, all these different things. And He says, these things are not a part of My kingdom. And those who practice those things openly declare they don't want a part of Me. And I say, to, when I read that list, I go, whew. So now that I've read it, now that all the evils out there make me want to do them. But the truth is, whenever you want to live for God, the enemy doesn't want you to. It's not a setup for failure, though. Because I'm going to tell you this. The enemy's stronger than you. Amen. A whole lot stronger than you are. The devil is big and crafty, but he's not bigger than God. But he is bigger than you. And he can put some hurt on you. And he can bring a whole bunch of different demons and bad angels up and mess your life up and bring some people who don't love God into your life that really, really torment you. He can do it really good. And you want to give up. And that's what he's trying to do to get you to not have faith. And that's what he's trying to do to you. And he can if you listen to his voice. And don't have an ear for God's. Why? Because you and the enemy aren't going to have a good, fair fight. You're going to lose. But you and Jesus says this way, greater seed that's in me than the he that's in this world trying to destroy it. The one that's in me. He's bigger. So when I put on his armor, the enemy sees me. No. Mm-mm. He sees Him. Right. Jesus. I'm wearing God's armor. I put on the helmet of salvation. It's a seal from the Holy Spirit, if you will. Especially when I'm praying mm-hmm. in power and I'm carrying the Word of God where I go. Not tucking it and hiding it in fear and shame. But I'm taking the Word of God everywhere I go and the enemy sees that and he's going... This guy or this gal is uh, serious about the Father. I'm going to see if they're really serious and tell them, you know, nobody wants to hear that. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to hear you talk about that. You're going to offend them. It's not allowed. It's not safe. People will not be your friend. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I'm not here to make my people my friends. Do you understand that? I'm not here to make people my friends. I'm here to make people God's friends. Amen. To reconcile them to God, not to me and my relationship with them. It doesn't matter if I don't have friends if God has them all. Because they're all God's friends, they'll be my friend too. Amen. Because I'm a friend of God and He's a friend of mine. If He's your friend, then we have a mutual friend, don't we? Amen. And we're all in the same family. Then all of a sudden we become family too. But the whole thing I'm trying to say here is the enemy sees God's armor on you and he sees it's God's armor. So if it's God's armor, who does he think's wearing it? Mm-hmm. It's not your armor. If he sees your armor, yours is like defensiveness and anxiety and worry and fear. And he knows what that looks like. Yep. It's, he looks at you and sees God. Amen. And that seal of the Holy Spirit when you're praying... He all of a sudden says, I've got, a, I've got some business over here of someone who doesn't have an armor on. I'm going to go mess with them. It's a little much here when you've got Jesus there fighting with you. Amen. 
So that's why we have to put that on. And that's why he says that we need to understand that that's necessary to fulfill the law of God too. Because we are incapable or incapable to fulfill all the commandments of the law or to fulfill even all the Ten Commandments 100% of the time. And I'm going to give you a real simple example. When you were little and your parents asked you to do something or uh, whoever was raising you asked you to do something, did you always say yes? I'll do it and then go do it immediately. Faithfully, 100% of the time. Of course not. You know, the terrible twos. The only reason we don't kill them is they're cute. Two-year-olds are cute. If not, you go, I'm going to kill this kid, you know? They test the patience of the parents. That's how you know you love your kids. They, they make it to age three. As a lot of people say. So we're, we're like that. We say no to God like we say no to our parents. There's not any of us who 100% of the time were faithful to God to love Him with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's stuff we've loved other than God with other parts of our strength, our mind, or our soul, and we've given it to other things. Therefore, we have not honored the commandments perfectly. It's impossible. There's only one who could, and it was because He was God. Amen. That's why He walked perfectly, because He was God. He couldn't walk in objection to Himself. He had to be who He was, and He lived out what He was, not lived out the commandments, but Himself. And for you to become like Jesus means the Holy Spirit is living out the God-focused life through you by His power, which He used to live it out on earth. Amen. Then you can begin to be faithful to love as He loves because He is loving in and through you. Now we got that straightened out. Just look at what I really wanted to say. Because if you don't know that part, this part's hard. Uh-huh. And that part can be hard. Amen. He says, knowing the time. Mm-hmm. It's high time to wake out of your sleep. Our salvation's closer than when we first believed. In other words, the day of the Lord is closer at hand. Amen. God is asking for us to go deeper. He says, the night is over. So we cast off the works of darkness. We're putting on that armor of light. Casting off the works of darkness. That's the darkness I was talking about. And he said, let us walk properly. Properly is a nice word of saying, don't walk disrespectful of the light of God in you. Walk according to the light that God has shown you. Decently. Like you are in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness and lewdness and lust. Not in strife and envy. But verse 14. Put on Jesus. And make no provision for your lust to fill its desires or its Amen. lusts. You say, well, uh, okay. But, but listen to what I'm saying here. We spend a lot of time not knowing how to love God or other people. Amen. But with the Holy Spirit in us, we can learn. Mm-hmm. We can be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to this world when we have that relationship with Jesus Christ. It's very difficult to do that when you don't know who He is. As a matter of fact, the word would be impossible. 
I don't know of a simpler way to say that word impossible, but not at all can you do it without Jesus Christ. Without the relationship, you might say, but I loved before I knew Jesus. No, you did not love. You had human affection. What you could muster, you love. And so that would be a statement of, I love to the best of my ability before I met Jesus. Now God loves through me through the best of His ability through me. Yes, you loved as much as you could with human affection before you knew Jesus. And you can say, I love pizza, I love puppies, I love my son, I love my family. But God needs to love through you, so it's not your effort. That's right, amen. Because your love is limited and finite. You don't know how to love as God loves. He loves without restriction. We do not. Amen. We cannot love without restriction, without a relationship with Jesus Christ. So Paul says, basically, it's about time that our time is used differently. Mm-hmm. It's about time that we begin to think forward with our lives. A forward-thinking people. By forward, I simply mean that what is God going to do with us forward from here? What's God going to do with you, with me? And that question that you ask yourself is not to say, well, He's going to do what He did before. God says, I'm doing a new thing. It's a new time to redeem. We're not redeeming, it says in uh, Colossians 4, where I read those verses for the opening. I didn't read the very next verse because I wanted to save it for this point. He says, walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside redeeming the time. He doesn't say redeeming the past. He says the time. The time means it's finite time that we have here on earth going forward from here to the end of our lives that we need to redeem it. And that doesn't mean to like save it because you can't save time. You can't buy some time. You can't keep time. You can only spend time. Time is not a commodity. It's one second at a time and that's all you get. You can't live two seconds at a time and you can't live last second and you can't live the next week. You can only live this one. Time is right now. And so Paul is saying, redeem the right now. Not the past time. You can't make up for that. You can only use now to go forward and do the things for God that He has asked you to do. He says it a little clearer, I think, anyway. I'm one of those guys who likes to know all sides of things. I just have that mind that analytical. Mm-hmm. And I like to look at stuff. Maybe that's part of my uh, blessing and curse at the same time. Amen. But he says in Ephesians chapter 5, See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise people. Now, if he says to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but wise, I'm thinking, he said, don't walk like a fool. I don't want to be a fool. I don't want to be walking around stupid. I don't want to be walking around ignorant. I don't want to be walking around with the blessings of God in my hand and not even know I have them. And so he says in that 16th verse, redeem the time because the days are evil. And so he says, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You redeem the time by knowing what God's purpose and plans are that you can help Him fulfill that He's trying to do through you. There are some things I would love to be able to do. There was a time when I was younger. (laughs) I don't know if it was wishful thinking. 
And there was a time when I was younger, I thought, you know, in the Methodist church, you get one church, and back then they did it by, you know, if you did well, they moved you to a bigger church after three or four years, and then a bigger church, and a bigger church. And I was saying, wouldn't it be awesome to be one of those great big churches where I get to really go out and make a difference to a lot of people? And I thought, most of the time they're in meetings, administrating. They don't get time to do one-on-one hardly ever. There's so much behind the scenes that they have to do they don't get one-on-one time. And I thought, God, I don't think you're calling me to that big stuff. Because I don't do good with big stuff. I like one-on-one. I like being able to know people to get to know one another and to have a church where everybody can know each other's name rather than 800 people where you go, uh, where you go to the first, second, or third service. And, and they might say to each other after services, would you like what the preacher said? And they'll go, well, he didn't say that in our service. Maybe he likes you better. These thoughts went through my head and I said, I don't need that. What I need is something where God can use me for what He's gifted me with, not something that I thought I wanted. Because it's not what I really needed. And it's not what He gifted me for. He is not going to put me on the three tenors stage with the other two when the other guy's sick. I promise everybody else will be going, Oh, solo mio. Oh, mio mio. Wish you could sing down on the bio. Something like that. Or don't sing in this place ever again. Yeah, but truth is, I'm not a horrible singer. I'm just not a professional singer, well trained. Everybody can sing. It's just not everybody can sing well. Someone says, I can't sing. Can you can you sing? Can you speak and put melody to it with sorta at singing? It's a joyful noise. Some people may not want to hear it, but it's still singing. But what I'm trying to say is, the gifts that God's gifted you with are the ones you need to do what He wants you to do. You don't need extra stuff that you can't do. If you could do it all, you'd want to. And we can't. There are... Here's how this works for me. And maybe you've thought about this, and this is how I kind of want to wrap this up. There are... uh, Is it seven wonders of the modern world? I think one of them is Taj Mahal. Um, I believe the Grand Canyon is another. And there are five more. And I was beginning to think of, you know how they talk about bucket lists? Mm-hmm. Things you want to do with your life. And I began to think about all the things in the world that were possible. Angel Falls in Brazil, for example. A guy said, you want to go there? I'm thinking about going. And I said, is it cheap? And how long is it going to take? And will I be safe? And he's giving me all the details. And I'm going... Um, well, it might be on the list. I don't know. But you know that one. That's the world's tallest waterfall, like 1,500 feet tall or however mm-hmm. big that thing is. And I thought, man, that'd be, when I was a kid, I wanted to see it. As an adult, I'm going realistically, that's not as important to me as being here. Amen. But there's a whole bunch of things I'll never see in this world. I don't have time. Nobody has enough time to see them all. This world is so big and expensive. And you could spend your time going to see all that stuff and never do a thing for God. But God has said, I've got something in mind for you that really fits. It'll really make your life explode with impact on the lives around you and in your influence for God. 
if you'll just stay focused on that. Mm-hmm. And what do we do? Oh God, you know, I'd do something great if you'd let me win a lottery. God says, what are you doing great for me now so I know you'll be faithful in a lot? If you're not faithful in a little, how can I bless you with a lot? If you're not doing anything for me now, what makes me think you're going to do something for me later? If you're not walking in obedience to God now, how can God say you're going to redeem tomorrow because you don't even have the skill or the tools or the desire or the willingness, as I started with, to do it now? God is calling you to be willing to be willing. He will fill up the rest as long as you're willing to be in a relationship with Him and do what He says without question. Without question. I'm going to tell you that phrase without question. Um, it's not a good one when you drive a bus. <laughs> Well, it's not accurate. Uh-huh. You need to sit down. Why? He's not. You need to stop using prophetic. Why? Are you Jesus? Let me tell you how this works. True story. I have teenagers. I, I, I'm not my own. High school teenagers on the bus. Now, you'd think they were the good Christian boys and girls and these shining examples of how to live the godly life and show the other little kids how to ride the bus and talk respectfully and love and help each other be first and think of others more than themselves. And it would be just a wonderful experience for everybody. But guess what? If I got one on a bus, I'm happy. So, as the teenagers would get off my bus over the last month and a half or so I've been on this route I kept saying to them you know don't let those shuttle boys because I drive the shuttle to the high school with about 50 boys on it don't let them influence you to be something you're not mm-hmm. and they would say oh I won't I won't but as soon as you say don't evil's at the door ready to pounce Friday. Oh, Friday. If they could banish that day from school bus, Lord. I don't know about Keith, but Fridays on the bus are the worst day of the week. Mm-hmm. Friday afternoon, all of them ready to go home. They, they know they're not going to get in trouble because they're going home and you're not going to do it over the weekend, so they got two days not to think about that. All the shuttle boys started singing a song and had profanity in it in the back of the bus. I'm looking back there and I'm going, oh, the kid I said, don't let him influence you, is the instigator. And the other kid's right there with him, and this other guy's with him, and the other guy's with him, and so's that other one. And they're just using profanity, thinking it's funny. And so I hollered back there, no profanity, please, and they sang a different song with some more. And then I said it one more time, guys, I, I'm not playing. Nobody wants to hear that. And they laughed. And then one kid in the middle of the bus says, yeah, we're supposed to love Jesus on this bus. And they all started laughing. They tried to sing, uh, Jesus loves the little children. They didn't know the words. But they tried. They started singing Kumbaya and all these other things and just laughing and having a good old time. 
Now I tell you this because as they got off the bus, they said, guys, I'm sorry you couldn't do it the right way today. Sorry about that. I didn't say, you're in trouble. I just said, I'm sorry you didn't do it the right way today. I'm sorry for you. Feel sorry for you. Then when my kids got off the bus, I said, you know, you let them people influence you, didn't you? Yeah. Didn't want to, but I did. One kid said, I don't know why I did. And I said, you know, that was crazy. He said, yeah, I know. And I said, you were the instigator. And he goes, I know. It was almost like he was proud. And I said, you know what that means, don't you? He said, no. I said, it means that if you lead them the other way, they'll go the other way. You have the influence of a leader. And you get to choose who and where they'll go. And he got off the bus and he said, see you next week. But he doesn't realize the same thing that Paul's saying to us this morning. Mm-hmm. That we have a choice to use what God's given us to bless this world or not. But if we don't have a walk with Jesus Christ as first in our life, everything else mm-hmm. is going to distract from it. Amen. Prayer is not optional. Faith is fundamental. <clears throat> Fellowship, worship, encouraging each other is mandatory if you really want to live a life that's not going to drive you out of your mind. In this church, our intent is to show people that God makes a difference. The church does too. That is still relevant and more relevant than ever because of the things I'm talking about this morning. That evil is ready when people want to do good, and without Jesus, the evil wins. Maybe you know that now. I sure hope so. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I, uh, I thank you for your word to us this morning. It is about time, about time for change, it's about the way we use our time, it's about the time we used before. And I know right now, in this place, you've called us to not be foolish, to not walk without thinking of who you are and without praying, but rather to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Heavenly Father, we can't do that without you in us. And we can't be a, a habitation for you when we keep putting dark and light in the same life. So God, help us to put on that armor. And when the evil's at the door knocking, like you said it will be, that we'll be able to have that armor on that says, I have faith, and that evil's not going to come near me. It's not going to touch me. And if it does, I have someone in me who's bigger. And I'm going to go toward that and not answer that door. God, I ask this morning that you would help us make those healthy choices for you, but more so, that you would reside us, pour out your spirit upon us, gather here, and confirm within each one of us that we're yours or we're not, and the rest will be up to you. In the Holy Spirit, you transform us.
This is my prayer in your son's holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.